Please open your Bibles to John chapter 13. Last week we studied verses 1 through 19 and uh, today we will uh, go ahead and try and finish out the, the rest of the chapter. But uh, just as a refresher, Jesus has sat down to have supper with his disciples and we saw how Jesus had washed the feet of his disciples, and in so doing, he gave them an example of how they, and ultimately you and me, should serve others. He didn't establish a ritual of foot washing, but rather he used this as a way to teach the disciples that if he, their Lord and teacher, would stoop to such a level, they too ought to be the same way uh, in the way that they serve other people. Now, go ahead and mark this page in your Bible, because as I said, we will be finishing up chapter 13 today, but let's go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew is the first book of your New Testament. It's uh, to the left of where we are here in the Gospel of John, and we're going to go ahead and read verses 25 through 28, but what we're looking at here is, is how Jesus gave an example to the disciples, and like I said, to, to you and I as, as students of the Bible today, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have this example as to how we should serve others. And looking at verse 25 of Matthew chapter 20, it says that Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus is here again speaking to his disciples about being servants. And Jesus himself displayed this type of behavior in his earthly ministry, in his life here, all the way to the cross, he displayed that type of behavior. He never used the power that he had as God in the flesh to force his will upon anyone else. And if Jesus had all power and he didn't force himself upon anyone, why should we as his servants lord things over other people or establish hierarchy or um, systems of religion in which we report back to a man or something like that. That's not the way that a servant of Jesus is to be. We are to be servants to all. Consider others as better than ourselves. The example that Jesus gave us, though, this example of being a servant, it's not just about the ministry. It's not just geared toward those that are in the pastorate or in some type of church leadership or someplace. This is something that can be carried over into every aspect of our lives. As employers or employees, as friends and family members, as husbands, as wives, whatever your lot is in life, you are to live as Christ lived, to serve as Christ served, and to love as Christ loved. You see, the Bible is very practical. It's very applicable to our lives today. It is a living, active word. 
And and we are to to take what we read, to take what we're studying, and we are to apply it, to, to take the Word of God, hide it in our hearts, and allow the Word of God to transform us, to be renewed in our minds by the Word of God, and then to, to go out and to live that life, to go out and to love and to serve others and to care for others. Now, go ahead and keep your finger here in the book of Matthew or mark this book somehow because we're going to come right back to it. But let's go ahead and flip to our text now in John chapter 13. Go ahead and keep just both of these books marked if you can. And picking it up now, in verse 20, Jesus is still speaking, okay? And he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives Whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. You see, now what Jesus was doing here at this supper, he was preparing his disciples for the things that that would lie ahead for them. He's about to, to send them out. He warned them of his betrayal, and he showed them how to be servants of others. And here he is hinting to them, that they will not be well received by everyone that they come in contact with. It just wasn't going to work that way. They will be rejected. And you know, when it comes to preaching and teaching in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the same holds true even today. Attacks will come from all over the place. You will be rejected uh, you know, and if you step out to to tell somebody of the love of Jesus Christ, you would think that, oh wow, why wouldn't they want to receive this, or why wouldn't why wouldn't you be allowed to do this just about anywhere? But Satan doesn't like it. So, just like with Judas, Satan filled his heart and put something in his mind, and you know, it like we talked about with Judas, it was the love of money. You know, that his love for money that really ultimately led him to that place of his heart being ripe for Satan to come in. But today it could be many other things, uh, jealousy, all different kind of things that will cause people to attack other people or cause people to desire to, you know, not have the gospel preached in a certain region or a certain area. It just goes on and on. Unfortunately, this takes place even within Christianity today. But when they receive, when a person receives the message, it's Jesus that they are receiving. And then when, when they reject it, it's Jesus that they are rejecting. So when we go out as servants of Jesus Christ and we preach the gospel and we take that step of faith to do it and trials and tribulation come, count it all joy. Because what it does is it's testing your faith, as it says in James. It's producing perseverance in you. And as you do this, God then begins to to strengthen you in your faith. And he opens doors for you to then to, to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of him and to impact more people around you. But just remember, when they reject the message of the gospel... They're purely rejecting Jesus because you shouldn't be taking religion to them. You shouldn't be going to them in the name of your church or the name of your denomination. You go to them in the name of Jesus. But Jesus was preparing his disciples here for that time in their lives when 
they will be without him and, and they'll be going into the world and preaching his name and teaching about him. So let's go ahead and turn again now to the Gospel of Matthew. But this time, we're going to look at chapter 10. So back in Matthew chapter 10, this is where we're going to to see the record of Jesus sending out his disciples. He's giving them instructions here for this time that he's sending them out. And beginning in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 10, it says, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now you see here that this power was given directly by Jesus to the twelve disciples. Verse 2. Now the names of the twelve apostles were are, are, excuse me, are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, you see, the original twelve, when first sent out, by Jesus here, did not go into all the world and preach the gospel. This wasn't that time. Instead, they were going to the Jews, and they preached that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We talked about this a little bit last week, but the gospel was to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. Now, on the day of Pentecost, when the believers were all gathered in the upper room, and you can read about that in the book of Acts, um, chapter 2, that is when the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they received power to be witnesses for Jesus. And the gospel then went into all the world, as it continues to do today. We still are living in that same period of time where the gospel is going into all the world, to every tribe, to every language, every tongue. The gospel continues to go. But here, when Jesus sent the 12 disciples to the lost sheep of Israel, he sent them with a message. And verse 8 says that he gave them power to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. So Jesus didn't want them to hold anything back. He gave them this power, and all that he had gave to them, they did not earn, they did not deserve. He gave it directly to them, and he wanted them to pour all they had into getting this message out to the Jewish people. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And these Jews were scattered all over the place there. So the disciples, they had some traveling to do. And verse 9 says, Jesus told them, Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, 
for a worker is worthy of his food. You see, the Lord was sending them out totally with empty-handed, with nothing, just the clothes on their back. And the Lord would use the people that were ministered to by them to provide for his disciples. Verse 11. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire in it, uh, or, or excuse me, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. Okay, now think about this. They didn't take anything with them. Uh, like I said, other than the clothes on their back. So their first order of business when they went somewhere was to find a place to stay. So they looked for people that would receive their message and receive them into their homes. Verse 12, and when you go in, Jesus told them, when you go into a household, greet it. So Jesus is instructing the disciples here to go into a household with humility. Be courteous, courteous, excuse me, be kind. Greet this household. If the household, verse 13 says, is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. You see, as I read that, I think about the fact that, you know, all of us, we have a sense, if you will, of when we are welcomed someplace and when we are not welcomed someplace. Uh, the disciples were to give, like I said, a courteous greeting and let the people of the household know their message. If the people received it, they knew that they had a peaceful place to stay. They had peaceful fellowship with them. And if they did not receive them, then verse 14, Jesus goes on to say, And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Shortly, I say to you, it'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. You see, when a people or person does not receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are destined for a life spent eternally separated from God in hell. And when a city or a nation rejects uh, the Lord, it's worse for them than it is for Sodom and Gomorrah. Because, you see, there's only one name given under heaven whereby we can be saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. That is the way to salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way. So everyone must come, bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Jesus continues to instruct his disciples here in verse 16. He says, and I quoted this verse last week, but he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake and as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. So you see, at the Last Supper that we're studying about back in John chapter 13, Jesus had a, a lot to try and prepare these guys for. They, they, were, they were going to be facing a whole lot they would be extremely persecuted by the the Jews for the message that they would preach because the message that, you know, after Jesus had died on the cross, was buried, had risen again, had ascended into heaven, they got, they got to go out and preach the gospel. They got to preach this message that Jesus was the Messiah. They don't want to hear that. They killed him. 
They killed him on the cross. They don't like that message. And it would infuriate the Jews. In verse 19, but when they deliver you up, Jesus said, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. You see, at this point, the disciples did not know much about the Holy Spirit, but Jesus will teach them more about him before he goes to the cross, and, and we'll be studying that soon too. But flipping back now to uh, John chapter 13, Jesus is doing all that he can to warn the disciples of the things that lie ahead for them. And in so doing, the thought of all of this was laying heavy on Jesus. Look at verse 21, John 13, 21. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. You see, this fact must have torn Jesus up inside. To be betrayed by someone that he has poured so much into, someone that he has loved so much, it must have been very, very difficult for Jesus. And it laid heavy on him. Then the disciples in verse 22, it says, looked at one another perplexed about whom he spoke. You see, that verse there indicates that there was nothing all that different about Judas, you know, he didn't stand out. Nothing stood out bad about his character or whatever, because all the disciples were perplexed by the fact that one of them would betray Jesus. It wasn't as if all the disciples had halos over their head, except for Judas. He had horns coming out of his head or something. It wasn't like that. But you see, back in, in verse 2 of chapter 13, it says that the devil had put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. But you know, this was all part of God's plan. This did not come as a surprise to the Lord. But the lesson in, in this for all of us today, even as followers of Jesus Christ, is we must guard our hearts from the things that the, the devil wants to try and slip in. He's, he's cunning. He'll slip in a little bit of jealousy or a little bit of you know, envy or whatever it may be, just to try and get you off track from where you should be focused. But you know, Satan doesn't come along and just openly reveal himself. Instead, he comes in a, a subtle way. He'll even bring people alongside to, to agree with you. For Judas, it was the lore of money, like I said, that distracted him. Remember, he was the keeper of the money box, and the scriptures tell us that he would steal from it regularly. And uh, Matthew chapter uh, 26 records that Jesus would go on to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which had an estimated value of about $25. But today, as we check our own hearts, is there something that is Lord over your life above Jesus? Does Jesus have first priority on the throne of your heart? Or is there something that distracts you from truly knowing him and walking with him? Now, I'm not necessarily talking about material things either. 
not talking necessarily only about money or things like that. What about things like unforgiveness, bitterness, distraction, the, the a hunger for success or prestige, pride, the pride of life, and maybe uh, you know a lack of contentment. All of these things can be distractions to what the Lord, through His Holy Spirit, wants to do in you and through you. The list can be endless. I can't name them all. But the problem is, is we don't even understand the depths of our own hearts sometimes, oftentimes. Turn in the, uh, in the Old Testament to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is uh, between the books of Isaiah and Lamentations. If you have trouble finding it, go ahead and, and turn to your index and look it up. But uh, we're going to look at chapter 17 of the book of Jeremiah. And we're going to begin reading in verse 5. I'm going to read verses 5 through 11. So Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart departs from the Lord. So here again, we biblically see that there is the possibility of our hearts departing from the Lord. What does that mean? If, if your hearts can depart from the Lord, then that means your, hearts were, your heart was once with the Lord. And it's, it's so easy to become distracted. Like I said, little you know, little things, Satan will creep little things into your mind and because he's a creep. <laughs> and in verse 5 here, it, it's the result of what? It's the result of trusting in man and trusting in the strength of your own flesh, trying to establish things on your own. Rather than, than going with the leading of the Holy Spirit, you try and establish things on your own. And make make your own little box that the Lord fits in for you. And try and get everybody to, to follow along with your little box. But as Christians, we should be confident only, trusting only in Jesus Christ. Verse 6 goes on to say that the person that trusts in themselves is like a shrub in the desert. And shall not see when good comes, but shall... Inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Think about that. Not, not from a physical standpoint, but think about that from a spiritual standpoint. You, you dry up spiritually when you are not actively trusting in the Lord. Look at verse 7, though. It says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And whose hope is the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaves will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. You see, once again, go ahead and look at those verses, verses uh, 7 and 8 there from a spiritual context. When you hope 
and you trust in the Lord, you are internally satisfied and you're not consumed with anxiety and fear and such. The heart, verse 9 says, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that's a powerful verse because you don't really know your own heart. You don't really know what you're capable of. Beware when you think you stand, lest you fall. But the good news is, if you find yourself in this place, you can repent. And God will give a way for you to escape. He will bring opportunities for repentance. But that repentance must show fruit. You must go out, and it, and if you have, you know, attacked others or it does involve others, you need to repent to them. You need to stand up because he who humbles himself will be exalted, but he who exalts himself will be humbled. That's the word of God. That's the truth, and it's it's going to happen. But you know, who can know it? Who can know the heart? The answer is found in verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. You will reap what you sow, is what that tells me. You know, it goes on in verse 11. As a partridge that broods but does not hatch, so is he who gets riches but not by right. It'll leave him in the midst of his days. And at his end, he will be a fool. Now, there's many people it fall into this category, unfortunately. We all can slip up. We all can go there. But you know, Judas Iscariot was one of them. But uh, Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our peace. He's the one that knows our hearts. He tests our mind. And he gives every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Go ahead and turn back to John chapter 13. The disciples had no clue who it was that would do such a thing. Who, would, who is it amongst them that would betray Jesus? They had no clue because they did not have the ability to see within each other's hearts. Now, verse 23 says, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now, you kind of got to picture the scene here. In verse 21, Jesus dropped what I would call a verbal bomb when he said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. This had to shock all of them. I mean, they all looked at one another perplexed, we know. But the disciple that was sitting right next to Jesus, when this happens, he probably leans into Jesus, throws his arm around him maybe, and, and he's in despair and disbelief and falls on Jesus' chest. And it says there that Jesus loved this disciple. And the word used there for love is the word agapeo, and it means unconditional love. We've talked about that a lot through the Gospel of John. But let me ask you something. Who at that table deserved love any less than Judas Iscariot? So then who at that table 
needed unconditional love more than the rest of them. I really believe that this was Judas that was leaning on the bosom of, of Jesus. Now, the majority of Bible commentators have said that they believe that this was John, the writer of this gospel, that was leaning on Jesus. Okay, and either way you go, let's just read on. We'll, we'll touch base with that here a little bit more. Simon Peter, verse 24, therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. So he motioned to the one that was leaning on Jesus, saying, ask him who it is. Okay, then leaning back on Jesus' breast, so he must have sat up, but he leans back again. He said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered him, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. So, who was it that was really behind the killing of Jesus Christ? Was it the Jews? Was it the Romans? Was it Judas? No, in actuality, it was Satan himself. He placed the intent in the heart of Judas, and he then entered Judas, and Jesus spoke directly to Satan when he said, What you do, do quickly. Jesus' hour has now come. All things are now set in motion. But you know what? The disciples are still ignorant as to what has taken place here. They still don't know. Look at verse 28. But no one at the table, look at that, no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. To who? Well, look at verse 29. For some thought Judas, or some thought because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So when Jesus looked at Judas and said, what you do, do quickly, the disciples thought it was business as usual. It says right there that not one of them at the table has any knowledge of what Jesus said to Judas. So even the one to whom he would have given the bread to, even if it was John, he was at the table, right? So not one of them at the table knew what he had said. So that's why I believe that this was possibly Judas. But here's the thing. If you disagree with that, that's okay. Because the Bible does not tell us who it was that was leaning on Jesus. You know, so either way you go on that, it really doesn't matter. What matters is that Jesus loved this disciple. He loved Judas, and he loved all the people of the world. And that kind of love is true agape love, an unconditional love. So whoever that was, what you need to know is that God loves you unconditionally. You see, there are plenty of people today that are led by evil. Because Satan fills their hearts or their minds with something, and then they act on it. And then they step out and they do it. But the agape love of Jesus that led him to shed his blood 
extends to everyone that will repent and believe and receive. So then verse 30 says, Having received the piece of bread, this is Judas, right? He then went out immediately, and it was night. Now as I read that verse, I think about the fact that it was night here. You know, a lot of dirty deeds are done in the dark. And Judas is on his way out, filled with and and, and led by Satan to do the dirtiest deed perhaps of all time. But Judas's love for money, like I said, opened his heart for this deception. And in the end, he was a fool for Satan. But that's why I say we need to guard our hearts against the deception of darkness. But how do we do this? We do this by staying focused on Jesus Christ, the light of the world, walking in the light as he is in the light. That's the only way. Verse 31. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So this was a a very dark moment, both in a literal sense and in a spiritual sense. It was dark outside. And now that his hour, that the Lord's hour had come, The disciples were loaded with heaviness on their hearts. But Jesus directs the disciples to the fact that now he will be glorified. He soon will be brutally beaten, spat upon, and hung on the cross, and ultimately he will die. But that is not the end, because he will rise again from the dead and ascend back to heaven from where he came. But before all of this, he wants his disciples to know something very, very important, a commandment that supersedes all other commandments, the commandment to love one another in the same way that he loved us, that he loved them. And today, it is still the greatest thing that we can do as his followers. Jesus did not leave us with a a commandment to condemn For he himself did not condemn this world. This world will know we are Christians by our love. And more importantly, they will come to know Jesus because they will see his love shining in us and through us. But if we allow ourselves to get caught up in the darkness and we allow these things to come in, bitterness and envy and jealousy and all of these things that cause us to to, to be focused on attacking others or going after others, how is anybody going to see any love in that, any compassion in that? They won't. But Jesus says in verse 35, by this, by what? By love. By this, All will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him in verse 36, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. After what? 
When is it that, that Peter would be able to go where Jesus was going? After Jesus was glorified. Jesus opened a way for heaven for all that would choose to be his followers. Peter said to him in verse 37, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. You know, Peter is so easy to relate to. He expressed all the same attitudes that all of us would have. We want what we want, and we want it now. But the Lord has all things planned out, and He knows exactly what He is doing. Go ahead and look back just quickly at verse 3 of this chapter here, chapter 13. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come from God and was going to God. So you see right there, that's where Jesus was going, but the disciples could not yet come there. But as I've already stated, after Jesus died and was risen in his glorified body and then ascended into heaven, he opened the way for all. But Peter didn't know all things as Jesus did. And today we must trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understandings, as it says in Proverbs chapter 3. You see, it's not about our proclamation of how strong we are in the Lord. It's not about our establishments or the things that we set up. All of us have failed or will fail when it comes to standing strong in faith. But Jesus is the answer. Because in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. You know, thinking of that, I know many people, I've not really, that's that's not true. I, I've known a couple of people that, that say things like, you know, you should never let somebody see that you're weak as a Christian. Well, it's contrary to scripture. Because in our weakness, his strength is, is made perfect. doesn't matter who you are. You need to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. You know, John the Baptist realized this. When he said, speaking of Jesus, he said that he must increase and I must decrease. And that's where all of our hearts need to be. When we present ourselves strong in the presence of other people, and yet we fall short like all people do, then we are rightfully called a hypocrite because we say one thing and we do another. But I, for one, will readily admit that without the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, I am nothing more than a hypocrite. I would be nothing more than a hypocrite. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Peter said, he would lay down his life for the Lord's sake. And Jesus answered him in verse 38, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Wow. Peter did not know the deceitfulness of his own heart. But Jesus knew, and Jesus loved him in spite of his failure. No matter where you've been, no matter how weak you think your faith may be, 
You're in a good place when you're there because Jesus is the answer. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our peace. He is the strength of our lives. And when you think you stand, beware. Don't hold on to this world. Don't trust in the things of this world. Don't trust in the things of man. And don't think that you stand on your own strength. We have a Savior because we needed a Savior. Rest and trust in God's unconditional love only. Surrender your life completely, every aspect of your life, into the hands of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Peter was a great example to us of the fact that apart from Christ we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. God bless. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.